the shift to virtual meeting platforms during the pandemic was hailed as a game changer, but was it? Here to tell us is the founder of Gallus Events and regular AMI contributor, William Thompson. William, welcome to Deep Dive. Thanks so much, James. Good to be with you. Thank you. In your article, you wrote an article for uh, the May edition of AMI uh, in which you said the event tech bubble, you described it as a, a bubble, this huge investment we saw in virtual platforms during the pandemic uh, has effectively burst and the future for the event tech world would now depend on uh, the extent to which planners had taken on board uh, these new skills, how they would use them, how they would uh, use the new tech uh, once we'd seen the kind of rebound of in-person. Is that a position you still hold? Are you still happy with that kind of um, position you had in the article? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll maybe wait for that fire engine to go past, um, which happens a lot <laughs> on my street in Barcelona. Um, yeah, uh, just just to clarify that, I think in the article what I said was that um, the, the, there was definitely a bubble and that's burst, mm -hmm. but partly it's burst because of investments in general. And I think that's I think that's important. So I, d I didn't say in the article and here's the evidence that no one wants event mm -hmm. tech stocks, for example. Um, uh, I've just said that we got carried away with all the money that was going in to event technology, but that was happening right across the economy. There was loads mm. of businesses and companies that were getting loads of money invested to them because there was so much money, so much cash floating about looking for a return because the, mm. and there was no interest rates on being paid on money in the bank. And as I said in the article, and I'm really pleased now we're a few months after it where it's it's proved to be true. There you go. Yeah. Um, but but what has happened is the it's not so so looking today, Zoom's down forty percent in six months and yeah. C events down forty two percent in six months. Now they sound like a kind of like, you know, a disaster for those companies. However, the S P five hundred is down twenty one percent and um mm. the Nasdaq, which is tech stocks, is down thirty percent. So it's a drop, but it's only a little bit more than in general. And that's kind of where right. at, that's kind of the position I wanted to say that certainly there was a huge inv involvement because it was lots of money and we thought lots of interest and that's gone out and it's maybe a little bit worse, but that's come out in general of uh, stocks mm. in, in companies. So that's, that's the first thing I'd like to say. The, the substance of your question, it was definitely a bubble. People had to do virtual and they were looking for virtual technology and, you know, you, you can you can call it a bubble, but you can also call it a boom because at the mm. time there was demand for it and there was revenue coming into businesses. So it's probably more to say a boom than a than a bubble um, because there was a demand for it. But as soon as we got back to in person, um, that demand literally fell off a cliff. And if you're looking at a company like Hopin, which I think has an eight billion pound market value, um, it's making a hundred million pound revenue now you know mm. so that's kind of shown you wh where we are that's that's what it was valued uh, when it did its fund its last fun funding but if it went to market again it would be absolutely nothing near that and that is because the demand's mm. not there for virtual stroke hybrid and i know we're going to get into the kind of difference of that but yeah it's it's mm. the, the demand's not there so the technology are, really are these struggling. Are, are these effectively sort of stranded assets then or can that value be regained if um, there is a kind of rethink of how we do do events, yes. Um, to the second part of that, if it if it's done differently from I think from the supplier and also the user 
then these businesses can be really successful, the best of the businesses. You know, and you know, I often think in our industry, we can look at things and think we're very particular or peculiar, but you know, it's just the same as every other industry. There'll be hundreds of companies, 20, 30 of them will do really well, four or five of them will do exceptionally well. Um, at the moment, mm. they are struggling, Un undoubtedly they're struggling. And you know, there's a, a, a whole set of reasons for that, which we might have time to go into. Um, but I, I don't think they're, I don't think they're stranded assets because I think virtual will play a, an absolutely incredible role, an incredibly important role as we move through this decade. And and I think there's um, certainly a drop off in virtual, but I would expect it to come back to quite a considerable level, um, maybe in five years time. In five years time. So you think, because um, I've heard people saying, you know, uh, 2022 was always going to be the year of in-person. It was always going to be the year people got back in the room. But then I've heard people say that could come off quite quickly, you know, maybe 2023, 2024, when people remember what it was about meeting in person that they didn't miss, you know, the long yeah, air, yeah. airline, you know, airline fees going up, airport queues, which are now horrendous, um, sub, subpar content, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Um, but you see it more of a kind of five-year... Yeah, I think so. De definitely, if you were to draw a, draw a graph, there's a clear bounce back to physical, and I think that'll go for a for, for a long period of time. I mean, I'm planning to go to an event in November, which I'm really excited about, mm. um, and I wouldn't attend that virtually, but I've attended a dozen events virtually over the last eight, eight months. You know, so but there's definitely a bounce back, but I do think that's gonna that's gonna taper off. You know, and for for the reasons that you've said, and I think that's worth highlighting, um, is that we're looking at we're looking at physical events now, for, through through rose tinted glasses, and I think a lot of people are going back to an event. Um, and I remember posting something on LinkedIn and Twitter just a month ago, and someone had done a selfie of them. Great to be back at an event, and there it was, a really bright theatre room with 20 people and behind you could see a PowerPoint slide. And I'm thinking, mm. yeah, it is great for the moment, but probably half of the people are going to leave that meeting and think, why did I, f why did I come to this? I could have just got that content and I could have chatted to those people um, virtually. So I definitely mm. think there is going to be a, was that really worth it? for for a lot of events and i know a lot of my contacts are kind of back thinking this is great we can build now there's loads of interest but i'm not so sure i think a business that wants to plan for the medium and long term has to look at uh, virtual digital engagement and content for its audience otherwise i don't think it's going to be around um by the end of this decade you know and that's quite a substantial kind of bet bet to make but um, if I was mm. investing in companies, I wouldn't invest in a, in, a, in a business events business. And that's I'd like to make that crucial point. We often talk about events as if they're one big homogenous group and mm. they're so different. But if I was if we're talking yeah. business events, then it's got to be virtual. If you're in the leisure or the tourism or the sports types events, then there's a much, much longer um, lifespan for physical events. And I think you can engage a lot less virtually and still have success. Okay. Well, I could maybe pick that up um, later in our conversation. Just just wanted to pick up on one thing you wrote in the article there about the relative um, dearth of virtual event tech platforms at the start of the pandemic yeah. and how that very quickly turned into a preponderance of event tech platforms. How do you see that playing out? Do you see more um, merger and acquisition activity or do you see some some failures? Yeah. Um, 
looking looking at the industry and, and most industries tend to over a period of time congregate between smaller companies that are happy just doing a little bit of business medium-sized companies and the big big companies who are doing thousands of you know whatever events or or, or or transactions a day and I think that's where the events industry will land so I think we'll still have a couple mm. of hundred platforms um and you know as as we move as we move through this decade uh, because you know if you do it right there's you know there's good money to be made from it um mm. but you know you have to you have to do it a lot better and you have to do it to scale to make a huge amount of money so i don't expect to see that much of a change from where we are now maybe a little bit of m&a when some of the bigger companies are looking at you know let's say a, a, a platform you know a really good example is Hopin when they bought streamyard that i would expect yeah. to see things like that happen i'm looking at a platform at the moment that helps you uh, make bookmarks on bits of video and then puts them all together and allows you to export it. So say you watch eight hours of content and you can just highlight the bits that you like, group them together and export it. That's gold dust for an attendee, mm. but that's a platform that I would expect to be bought by one of the bigger ones. So I think there's still a big role for innovation and doing things differently. I know another bit of technology that um, cuts out all the ums and as in presentations. So you can listen to a half an hour presentation, but this technology will mm. get it down to you know a lot fewer minutes wow you know, so that's that's good for on-demand content yeah, after yeah, yeah after a webinar or whatever yeah, so that right. stuff's really 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 good. but beautiful for podcast editing as well yeah, <laughs> yeah. go through all the mm, hours, all the uh, long pauses that's that's a neat piece of tech that i think that's a good point and i think there's also scope and for and more room for tech uh for in-person conferences as well that's sort of there's a company called wordly yeah I met um, IMEX, who that's that looks extraordinary. Kind of real time uh, translation into about twenty six languages on your on your smartphone, that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think I think you're right. I think there's a, there's a there's more scope for meeting planners to to use technology across the piece, not just uh, not just online, yeah, I, but I, also that, that's a really important that's person. a really important point, James. But I would say that that's been the case for twenty five years, though. And um, you know, I mm. ran te I ran TechFest, which was Europe's first technology events for the events industry in twenty twelve, and um, all the conversations I had with the suppliers was, I know your technology, you're saying it's really good. But the problem is mm. not to say that it's good; it's to persuade the organizer that they need it, and their delegates or their stakeholders are going to use it. And I said, and that's what you need to focus on: is how do you, how are you actually going to get them to use a networking app, you know, a scheduling? And that's the problem that we've had for you know as, as long as we've really been having proper event technology, you know, that kind of twenty five year period. And I don't think it's any different. And that's the big hurdle that I think event technology companies have: not virtual, not hybrid, not physical, but it's the adoption of technology been able to use it properly and encourage our attendees to use it properly that's a big hurdle i don't think that's been helped or hindered by the pandemic that's still there it is it is still there and is that something is that a problem that's ever going to go away or do you just think people are the problem is people who push push meetings tech are a certain type of people that they're, they're techie people they like <laughs> you know they like gadgets they like how things work and a lot of people just aren't when they turn up to an in-person meeting. For them, their smartphone is in, their, in their, the bottom of the bag. They don't really want to look at their smartphone if they can help it. They just want to mingle. Yeah. And they think an app, you know, a networking app is a kind of contradiction in terms almost. It's, you know, why would I want to put this between me and somebody else? Yeah, I, I agree completely. And in, in the article, I said that um, 
try and remember exactly what it said, but I said, I think I said, hybrid is the answer if the question is how do event tech companies make more money? Hybrid isn't the answer to any other problem that the events industry has. So that is a big problem um, that we've got. I don't think our big solution, this idea of hybrid, is actually solving many of the problems. But at any event, you'll look across the room and you'll see 50% of people on the phones and 50% of people not on their phones. So I think the events mm. industry has has, a, has has more success when it thinks about the options to give its attendees. And I think that's where we're going to have more success. But of course, with options comes cost. We have to add that value from our events for it to, to, to justify that extra cost by offering the options. But, you know, a networking app can be fantastic. But if you want to just bump into someone randomly, it's not doing the same thing. No. It is, it is, a, it is a barrier. I don't think events, events people are particularly tech savvy, but I think you hit the nail on the head. An event in its essence is a non-tech thing it is a person to person mm. engagement where you're seeing you're watching someone and it's only kind of slightly augmented by technology but it's not a hugely yeah. important element of that of that presentation unless you go virtual mm. where it, where that that relationship changes yeah but there's also I, de I detect a slight contradiction um in this this idea of having an app where you can uh, having a networking app where you can, before you go to a live event, work out exactly who you're going to see in the room and then sort of go to the event and regimentedly go around talking to these people who are on your app. Well, you could do that online. That's kind of, you know, if, if that's the point to kind of maximize your return on investment, then that kind of networking, you can pick up the phone, you can email, you can do that equally well online. And the whole point of being in a room full of people is that kind of chance encounter. It's that, who am I going to meet? It's, you know, and if we take all the risk out of a meeting, it's no yeah, fun. Definitely. But for some people, you know, and I used to, when I was, when I used to be in the music industry, I used to go to a big industry conference and I got the delegate list. Right. And I looked at the mm. delegate list and thought, I've got to find these people to get in front of them because they're not returning my call or they would never be interested in my band had they not heard that, you know, so 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 you use yeah. that and it's the same now. So, you know, it is really useful to have a, a list of the attendees and be able to see who you're who, who you can try and target to meet to in person. But does technology need to do that for you? Or do you just need a bit of paper with a delegate list on it? So that's a crucial <laughs> issue for 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 event technology providers. Um, is how are you replacing something that's um, better than what organisers who are used to doing stuff? Um, is it better than yeah. what you've got? What they've got? So you mentioned hybrid earlier, not being the answer to any question that anyone's asking in the meetings industry. Um, but I'm still hearing two things. I'm, I'm hearing. Hybrid was a flash in the pan. It's hideously expensive. I'm glad it's gone away. And I'm also hearing from certain quarters, hybrid is very much part of the meetings industry offer going forward. Um, and it's it's now part of the meeting planner toolkit, whether we like it or not, that kind of that kind of sentiment. When you hear those two contradictory things, what what are you thinking? What, what, who's yeah, right? Yeah. Who's wrong? Well, Is it somewhere in between? You know, be, 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 being an events being an events consultant, my my answer would have to be it depends. You know, and you really need to know more about the particular business or what they're trying to achieve and what resources they've got. But in general, you know, hybrid's been around. I, mean, I remember going to my first, I think my first hybrid event, my, in a traditional sense where there being a, a live event with a live audience. And, you know, it was actually a hub. There was three or four different hubs across the globe. I think it was in 2000 and. 
seven, two thousand and eight, round about round about that time. So kind yeah. of like fifteen years ago. You know, so hybrid it was pretty cutting edge then, but hybrid's been around since that period of time in that traditional mm. sense. And that's why I can say traditional, because it's fifteen years now. But when we look at hybrid, there's several ways that you can do hybrid. And and I think the most successful form of hybrid is a physical event where you've got recorded content and then you use that recorded content in some way to, to mm. supply engagement and content to a virtual audience. For me, that's hybrid. It's not happening. Hybrid doesn't have to happen at the same time for it to be hybrid. And I think every business, again, with that caveat of it still depends, but every business should be saying, if we've got physical event, how do we then use that content that we capture there and, and, mm. and digitally to get to another audience? And that for me is, is hybrid. And that's where mm. it's the virtual technology and it's all the other platforms like YouTube and marketing amplification apps, all that stuff's a technology. When you, when you, when you peel it back and you say to an event supplier, I want to run a hybrid event, their answer is, well, let's engage the virtual audience with the, the, the physical audience and how do they meet each other? And, you know, and mm. I'm just thinking, no, no one's interested in that. That's, that, that, that's such a niche, such a niche part. Mm. And I was running that type of event where you had a live audience, uh, a live event and a live audience watching remotely. I, I was running those events in 2016, 2017, and all I needed was a camera, a destination site, and Slido. That's all I needed, mm. you know, and I was able to run mm. that type of event for a couple of grand. So when suppliers are coming yeah. to you and saying, well, our platform's going to cost 15 and we need a three camera input. And it's just, it's just crazy, you know? So that's why I think mm. hybrid has caused a lot of, a lot of problems because people have been pushed away from actually what it is, how cheap it is to do and what value it adds. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. I think it became the kind of definition of hybrid during the pandemic changed it, it, at the start of the pandemic. I think people were thinking, oh, just a bit of online content. We can you know, extend the life cycle of the meeting. We can, those who weren't able to go can have this content online, but a video on demand, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And it's somehow over the course of the pandemic, the definition changed to something completely different. Like these are two integrated yeah, events. And I think that virtual, was the tech companies. Physical, yeah, yeah Because right. I don't think the planner was saying, yeah. please, please, please integrate my physical and my virtual audience so I now have double the amount of things to think about in the, the, day, of my, right. the day of my event. And this is where I come back to kind of like, it depends in the, the event consultancy perspective. It's kind of, you know, you have to look at an organization's resource. And if they've hmm. got all the resource and they've got the skills, you're like, hey, you could, you could, you could do a wonderful traditional hybrid event, and you could get loads from it. But if you've just got a small, you know, a small not-for-profit organisation with three members of staff, and you're saying to them, right, we want hmm. you to run a massive hybrid event, it just doesn't make sense. You know, it's not going to work. So you really need to think about what the what the resources are that you can push towards any format of event be it hybrid, virtual, and you have to do virtual, right? And that's one of the huge problems is that so many people were so bad at doing virtual events that they didn't get the success from them that they should have got. And they're not going back to them because it didn't work. And they've said... They were overextending themselves. Yeah. They were they, being overly ambitious. Yeah, and they didn't understand the differences. 
you know so mm. it is that thing you know about, oh it doesn't work i tried it one and i get you know we tried that and it doesn't work you think well okay mm. maybe do you think it was the application of that rather than the thing that maybe didn't mm. work and that's what i you know as again as a from a consultant's perspective i often hear oh we've done that and then you go in and you do it properly or set differently and it works and i think that's where we are with mm. virtual and i do think people will come back and say it looks like virtual will work how do we actually make the most of it and how do we do it properly? Because people mm. didn't have the time and they weren't really interested enough because no. it was always this kind of carrot of coming back to, to physical in front of them. Which, which brings us back, back to the point you made earlier about how you think business events as opposed to uh, rock concerts or festivals or leisure events, business events are on, are on borrowed time and they've, they've, won't see out at the end of the decade unless unless they change. Um, I don't even know if there's an unless, to be honest there, James. Mm. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I feel really, really strongly and the evidence is there and it was in, you know, it was in the article about companies saying we've got to reduce our carbon um, and the mm. easiest way for us to do that is to stop attending um, business events physically. In, and, yeah. and, and how do you deal with that? And again, in the article around this idea of an internal price for carbon, if you've got to justify to your whoever it is you need to justify going to an event with, they're going to say, well, what did you get out of it? Considering you weren't in the office for two days, how much did it cost? But what percentage of our carbon budget is it going to use or did it use? And that's another element you've got to justify your attendance at that event. And that's, you know, unfortunately for a lot of events, I don't think they're delivering the value clearly enough to say or to allow that delegate to go back and say, yep, it was worth spending those three things, time out of the office, money to get there in our carbon budget because I got A, B, C, D, E and F from it. You know, I challenge every organiser, mm. every attendee to think about the last event that they went with and truly think, was it worth the time out of the office, the money spent and the carbon that they used, and also the resources, which is a really important point, because I know we'll hopefully we'll cover that. Um, but was it worth it? And if it isn't, then your event's not going to succeed. If it is, you're going to be one of the very few events that, that, that have that continued success. So you mentioned corporations there. Did you see that? Uh, you see the same thing applying to you know non-governmental organisations, associations, absolutely. not-for-profit sector? Absolutely. You know, I, I, I don't think... I think maybe by 2025 there'll be a serious consideration, if not countries doing it already, and limiting and giving companies carbon budgets and possibly even individuals carbon budgets. Um, and whether or not that's a budget that you can trade or you can sell your credits, um, um, I, I think we're going to get to that point. Because I know we're going to you know, hopefully touch on climate crisis, but there there isn't a climate crisis coming. There's a climate and biodiversity crisis now, and we have to act. And, and the damage that's been done hasn't been seen yet. And it's not like we can just stop now and all the problems disappear. You know, there's 10, 15 years of carbon still going to be affecting the climate and, and you know resources being used in supply chains and species disappearing this is happening and it's going to happen for the next 15 years and we have to dramatically change what we're doing now and i think and i hope that that's going to hit home at some point and if it doesn't hit by 2025 then you know messenger of doom i think we are we are as a species i think we're i think we're doomed i think we're facing societal collapse and possibly extinction and i know that sounds incredibly weird 
to still hear to, to hear people say this, but I think we're going to hear a lot more people saying that because the evidence is there for that. So I don't think it's going to be a choice. And what I wrote in, um, you know, I wrote a thought piece at the start of the year that said that and kind of envisaged an events industry for the UK and said, you've got two choices. You start doing this now, you start being much more sustainable. You start dri driving your um, customer base to virtual. You start focusing on national attendees rather than international. Or at some point, you're told not to do this and you've got no market share because you haven't been doing it. All the smart companies have been doing it for five or 10 years. So that's why I think it's not just corporates. It's everyone that's going to have to have some huge lifestyle change um, for, for the climate crisis and the biodiversity crisis to properly be addressed. Does that mean the end of international meetings though? Or does it just mean meetings that are fewer in frequency? Um, maybe delegates have to prove that they've arrived on uh, you know intercontinental train rather than on a on an airplane maybe associations could look at um you know more more regional rather than international meetings i mean you're not saying this is this the end of face-to-face -face no meetings. no no and um you know hopefully you can point um, point a link to that research um, or that thought piece that i did um because that kind of explains my thoughts a lot and a little bit more in depth and i'm just saying you have to start thinking about how do you make sure that you're using much less resources for your event how are you being much more sustainable in terms of you know genuinely positively impacting the community and the environment that, that you're working in but you have to have this focus it would be it would be such a shame and, and we would miss something as a species if we didn't meet. Um, and, and, and I would extend that even, to, I don't think businesses would be as successful if they don't meet face to face. So I hope that these meetings still take place, but you know, you shouldn't be in an exhibition hall that's 25,000 square meters and only have 300 people there, you know, and that happens and you shouldn't have huge amounts of space that needs to be, that needs to be lit and, and, and heating and, and, and water use and all those things. So I think we've got to completely um, redesign our events for them to be much less resource intensive. And I think as attendees, we have to be much more um, deliberate on the type of events that we go to. Um, part of my, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think we mentioned it's that, but I run a business called Practically Perfect PA, which is U Europe's largest online training business. So I've been doing all this virtual event stuff for, as I said, since about 2016. But we've now stopped, we, we, we are now not traveling um, apart from public transport to uh, any business events. So I'm going to an event in Dublin from Barcelona. It's taken me a day and a half to get there. Um, and I'm going by train and bus. It would be really much easier for me to fly, but we can't do that. That's what we've decided to do. And and we're mm. making that choice so we can embed those processes and we can plan ahead. And how good an event, how good has an event got to be for someone to travel a day and a half to get to it? And mm. that's where we yeah. need to be. I think we've been really lazy as event organizers because we know someone can just jump on a plane and fly over. And if it's not very good, they'll just jump back again. I don't think we're in that. I don't think we're coming into that world where we can do that. So maybe one consequence of that would be would be shorter meetings i mean how many congresses conferences have you been to where the third day is not really necessary the fourth day is a bit flabby yeah. you know it happens all the time you know people say oh it's, it's the last day everyone's just going to be going home on the last day well 
therefore wipe in the last day yeah, the day yeah. before. No, this is, you know, for, for, especially for your audience, you know, most of my consultancy that I did before I went in to do all the virtual stuff was in associations. And I would often mm. say to them, rather than just looking at how do you do the event the same as last year, if you've got a conference, for example, look at the content that you want to cover, right? And then think how long is that mm. going to take you to deliver that? And if your content is only two days rather than three days last year, just run it for two days. Don't feel like you have to run that third day. But, you know, the, the clients would come back and say, yeah, that makes sense. But we had to sign a contract for our venue five in mm, five years' time. Mm. And we've booked all of that space and we've booked those days. And this is where I think things have to completely change in terms of the structure of our economy and, and, and our industry. We can't be in a situation where just because we're paid for something, we have to use it. There's got to be mm. a situation where we say we've booked that, but we don't need it. So we're not using it. You know, we have to look at how we can minimise our energy use and our resource use. So things have to change. But it's a really, really good point. There are lots of lots of events and maybe if they're a little bit shorter. But the, at the core of this for me is that um, I think as a, 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 a very kind of broad what should your events look like, I think you should have an absolutely amazing event based somewhere with a couple of hundred people. So let's say your 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 association is based in Brussels. You have a brilliant event, you cap it at 250 people, you know the venue, it's perfect for that. It's gonna be it's gonna be full. And then you say to your association, organize something similar in your region. And here's and here's a help kit, or, you know. Here's a, here's a kit that'll help you do that, and you know here's some financial support for us. Or do you want to do it on a franchising model? You know, we'll be in mm. content, but you can break out and you can have you know. So so you know. I, again, I've I've worked all this out. Is I've got it somewhat on on how you would actually plan these events, and people have been doing them. But for me, that's the future because that allows people to meet mm. res, kind of resource in a way that they're using resource properly and they're getting the benefits but they're not having all that extra time and resources and carbon to, to get to places i think that's the most so yeah so, so so what you're saying is there is a future for meeting in person there's a future for international delegations but it's up to the organizations and it's up to the to act now it's in their hands and if they don't then somebody else will make the decisions for them perfect summary or they might not be in doing what they're doing um, in, in, a, in a short in a, in a short to medium or sorry a medium to long term time they might not be in that business or in that industry mm. because the latest IPCC uh, executive policy report said 2025 didn't it was the point at which carbon emissions have to start coming down rapidly which was earlier than they'd said previously and as a piece of news um, I think it made the headlines for a couple of days and actually it was a really important piece of news I thought I thought blimey that's, mm. that's you know, this is this has been pushed forward now. Um, so, is this something that it will, when it happens, uh, governments you think will finally act in terms of personal carbon credits and, and, and this kind of thing, and that, that it's just a matter of time? Absolutely, absolutely. I I I think um, there are lots of histories, lots of stories of people marching slowly into into extinction. Um, in terms of, you know, if you think of, you know, the populations on Easter Island or the the Norse in Greenland, um, you know, there, mm. there are people who do do it, but they haven't been, the, the, the one thing they lack is the knowledge and the understanding of what they're doing. And we do, mm. and I hope that at some point that stops. And whether it's through civil disobedience or or, 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 or other means, 
But at some point, we've got to start instilling governments who at least acknowledge the climate crisis and are aware to put the resources behind it to solve it. Because, you know, the private sector can do part of it, but it's really down to what governments and society are able to do because companies make profit and, you know, you're a smart man if you can make profit from pulling carbon down from the air. You can't do anything with it. You, know, mm. you just have to store it. There's no value in it. You can't do anything with it. You know, if you if you build a seawall um, to protect, uh, you know, to protect um, the, the Netherlands from the sea, you can't charge the sea a fee for using the wall. You've just got to spend it. So, you know, the role of governments is going to become much more important. And I know people like to say, like a war footing, you know, like what happened in the Second World War. And I say, I think that's quite a good analogy. But for me, now's the time that we need to make peace with the environment and with the climate rather than think of it as making war because we've been abusing it for for, for, for for thousands of years. And at some point we have to say, no, we have to start treating the environment differently and we have to we have to start treating it and showing it that we love it and we need it and we care for it. And as I said, it's difficult to make money from that. Um, that's why the role mm. of governments is so important. And I think there has to be a much wider understanding that you know, trying to run everything for profit and make money from everything um, is not the way to, to to solve the climate crisis that we're in. So you'd advise um, event Bringing it back to events, James, well done. Bringing it back to events. <laughs> but, but basically what you're saying is get ahead of the curve because the curve is coming. Absolutely. You know, get ahead of government action. Yeah, yeah. Um, be, be on the front foot rather than the back foot. I think that's that, that's yeah. perfect. I actually wrote an article for for someone else, and my headline was "Get Ahead of the Curve," and they took that out and they put a less controversial headline as. But 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 that is it. And and the final point I want to make on that is something that was you know I had a real epiphany when I was an event organizer, and I thought, um, if I let's say I turn vegan, right, that's one person for a year, right? You know, that's like let's say that's three hundred meals. Whereas if I run an event and I've got three thousand attendees, and mm. I go plant based. Oh my God! I've I, my my effort and my kind of carbon shadow or or my climate mm. shadow is much bigger because I can influence all that. And, and events are one of the few industries where a decision that an organizer make affects so many people in so many ways. You know where you house them, where you sell to, um, in terms of your in terms of your marketing, and what food they eat, what they do, um, you know. I, I'm sure, you know, we've been to events where you've just seen, you know, tables and tables of untouched food and mm. huge amounts of waste and, you know, people being bussed mm. 50 yards down the road and all these things, all these things are, are, are easy to stop. I mean, I remember going, I, I, it was 2004 or five. I said to, I, had a, I was running a series of events and we were sending paper all over the country to arrive the day before, you know, 10 boxes of programs and delegate lists. And I said, we, we can't afford this. This is, this is, you know, this is costing us a few hundred quid for our events. They're small events. Mm. We just have to say to people, um, we're going green. And here's the PDF. You print it off if you need it. If not, there'll be displays there. And I remember my boss mm. at the time saying, you're going to get such, it was for accountants. Accountants love paper. You're going to get such a bad reaction to this. You know, mm. we had over 1500 people attend those regional events not one person complained because we explained yeah. it and this was at least 15 years ago so i think we can make these changes if we say to people we are doing this because of this and it will have this impact and we hope you support us and not a you know it's up to you but this is why we're doing it justify it and i think people will go mm. along with it and and you know that's where that's where change can really happen 
I think I think you're right, and I think people underestimate um, the willingness of people to make these these so-called sacrifices. When, when you talk about a meat-free menu, well, I've exper- I've experienced meat-free menus at conferences before, and no one raised no one raised an eyelid. I don't think anybody really noticed until someone pointed it yeah. out. It, it was 2017 you know, when I, I, I ran my first. We we ran our first um, uh, the first event where we went we went um, um, plant based and local. And you know, I remember speaking to the chef and I said to him, you know, coconut rice is not local. Okay, we're in we're in yeah. Glasgow. There's no there's, there's no palm trees here, right? It's not local. But so there was an education. Pro- this was a chef, and he went, "All oh, right, I thought you meant you mm. know like." And I said, "No, no, no. It's not shopping locally. It's using local products." Mm. So he went back at the menu, and we had an amazing for two days. We were meat free for t- we were we were plant based for two days, and you're absolutely spawn. Mm. Not not only did no one criticise, no one noticed. Because they mm. got there and they went, oh, that looks beautiful. Wow, that was really tasty. And we're just scared yeah. of doing that. But again, a kind of caveat to that is if you're over- organising a really expensive dinner and you're charging 250 quid, it would be difficult or more difficult to do that than if you're running a conference and people are there grabbing a, grabbing a meal and a, and, and a sandwich. So I think there's, there's stages that you can do that. But really, if that's one mm. thing I'd like people who are listening to take away is a, I think you can be much more challenging of your audience. And I think not only will they, um, will they do it, I think they'll respect you for making those choices. Well, I think that sounds very, you know, empowering. And I think one of the, one of the strange things about these conversations we have is the amount of organisers who who seem to be sort of scared of of their client base or scared of how the, how they're going to react. But they're actually in a position of great power, and it's up to them. They can communicate this properly. Then, um, you know, this is this is how events can be can be used used for the good. Used for isn't good. It? Yeah, absolutely. But I, I would I would just I would say. A small um, difference from what you've said there is I think the organiser tends not to have the authority that they need in these cases. And they've often right. got... So they're going up yeah, to their board. Often or, got the responsibility, yeah, yeah. but not the authority. Yeah. And that's why I've loved being self-employed. Um, because as a <laughs> consultant, I can go in and I can say stuff and it's down to them to do it. But running my own events, I don't have to ask anyone if we want to go meet free. I just do it. You know, it's, mm. it, it, because it's difficult... You know, I know so many organisers, they maybe want to do this, but A, they don't think it will be it'll be taken on board. And B, they don't have enough time to fight this fight because they've got 70 yeah. events to run this year. And that's right at the heart of our events industry. And that's the one thing I would really like to change is this idea that events have to be a service rather than a product. And we have to pull back the amounts that we're organising events and we have to, you know, half the amount of events that we're running, but make them twice as good. That would be a situation that I think would benefit everyone. But but we're on this production line. And as someone who, you know, ran events for associations for 10, 15 years, I was guilty of getting my staff to do it as well. You know, they're running four or five events at the same time. It's impossible to mm. deliver the quality and the value that you need to when you're mm. in that situation. So, again, I would look at I would encourage people to look at all the events that they do and say, really, if we stopped doing some of these and put that effort into doing other ones and made them better, would we overall have a happier team, happier, um, happier association, happier members, and maybe even a better bottom line? Because it's all it's all possible. Mm. But the problem is that an organizer isn't empowered, and is the way that um, we, we would hope they were. But but the executives, well, actually, in saying that, even in associations, the executives aren't powered, aren't empowered because no. they've got to go back to their board. And that's mm. an incredibly different environment and difficult environment for for, for trying to see the changes. I'm sure 
all the lessons as will be nodding along. But you need a you need a active responsive board in the first place. You need board members who are you know not just there for the uh, for the title. Yeah. Um, but the communication is a big part of that. You know, I, I found that yeah. when I went into the Institute of Chartered Accountants and suggested them uh, that they, they had to make changes, most of the changes were accepted because of the messaging that I did, you know, and I sat mm. in front of them and said, I've been organising events for 20 years. You're all accountants. I'm not going to tell you anything about how to do accountancy and I would expect the same professional courtesy for me, you know, mm. and b- because I'm a six foot three bloke, I got that kind of respect in, 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 in a room full of blokes, which is difficult for for a lot of people who don't look in my age. Mm. And that is really difficult. But that's the position you've got to come. And I've always tried to help organisers to say, you're the one who knows about this. You're the expert mm. in this. Go to your boards and say, this has to happen. And, you know, empowering yourself in terms of awareness of um the climate crisis and sustainability, all these things help you go to the board and say, you know, I'm the expert on this. You're the expert on medicine or, you know, surgery or, or whatever, but I'm the events expert. This is what we need to do. Or importantly, I'm the business mm. expert. This is what we need to do. Yeah. And just, just on, finally, on that last point about on informing yourself, because you, you just tell us a bit about uh, what you're doing now. You've taken a little break from Gallus events, I believe, to concentrate on a um, climate change. Yeah. So I'm still running, I'm still CEO of Practically Perfect PA, um, but I'm not doing any consultancy and I'm not really doing anything to the virtual event campus. Um, And and in Mm. in my world, that means I've got some spare time (laughs) and and I've decided to do a full-time master's degree um, studying studying Mm. the green economy. Uh, That comes to to an end in September. And then I'm going to do a part-time degree, uh, a part-time master's after that. So I've just really felt that I need to be informed and and, and hopefully the, the effort that I'm putting in personally I can I can impart to the industry to really get them to understand that fifty um, percent reduction in carbon by twenty fifty sorry by twenty thirty and then ninety percent by twenty fifty isn't fast enough um, and if they go at that rate I don't think they're going to have a business but also they need to start thinking about other elements of sustainability and also they need to think about the biodiversity crisis as well because that that's the thing with net zero it's so important that we draw down as much carbon as possible but it's not the only thing that we need to do, you know, and it, and it is taking a huge amount of focus away from other sustainability aspects like decent decent uh, wages, decent living conditions, um, the, the rising inequality in nations and within nations and the absolutely decimation of, of the living world that's happening as well. So net zero is important, but we can't lose um, focus for this. And, you know, when I went in to start studying the, the green economy, I, it's a science degree. I'd never really done science before. I knew it was mm. going to be complicated. And then I've just been opened up to these huge other areas. And I thought, oh, I thought this was just going to be about carbon. I'd never really thought about ecosystem services and the importance of biodiversity. And, you know, I'd never really thought about where energy comes from and where it goes and what the, you know, so there was so much to open up. But it's been absolutely fascinating. Um, but it's really helped me look at how the industry I'm currently in has to change, but wider than that, how society has to change and, and the role that we all have, this idea of a carbon footprint or a, or a kind of climate shadow um, to try and do as much as we can. Mm. Brilliant. Okay, William, thanks so much for your time today. That's very, very interesting. And presumably you're going to use some of the, the knowledge you've gained from this master's uh, course to to inform the events industry when you when you finish. Yes, 
Yes, um, if if I can work out some way of making some money from it, so I can so I can pay my my bills, I'll probably do that because I've not been earning for a full year, so I have to get back to that at some point. Right. Okay. Brilliant. Good to speak to you as always, William. And um, we'll we'll get you on the show at some point uh, in, in the future. Thanks so much, James. Nice to see you. Bye now. <laughs>